Hi and welcome to This Is Ibrooks. My name's Tommy McIntyre and I am joined for the second time, so two in a row, I don't know if that makes a series or not, by football finance expert and uh, all-round price of football podcast guru, uh, and you can pay me for that later, Kieran. Kieran, Kieran, absolute pleasure to see you again. Well, thanks for the invite, Tommy. Looking forward to this, should be fun. Uh, well, fun in italics because um, I don't know if it's ever fun when Rangers publish their accounts. Uh, it's, I think it should be a national holiday in Scotland because everything seems to grind to a halt and everybody gets interested in it. Um, primarily people from other clubs. It's a very strange scenario. So you've got, ah, you've got St Andrews Day, you've got, you've got Christmas, you've got Diwali and stuff like that. And then you've got Rangers Accounts Day. Uh, and that's <laughs> the, it's the big one here. So I, I know you are on top of all of these things for clubs um, in, in the UK. And I suppose the headline act uh, right off the bat is... See, I'm just glossing over the COVID thing anymore in terms of asking people how they're doing. It's just a, it's just part of the landscape now. All niceties are out the window, uh, Kieran. Um, but the, the main headline is Rangers posted a, a 15.9 million loss in the year ended to, to 30th of June. Now, that's always the first thing that people look at when a club puts their books out. You know, what's the profit, what the loss is. And that's a scary number for a, for a club in Scotland, given the, the market that we're operating in. But I, and I'm interested in your take here, there's a real story within those numbers, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to. What's your outside take from the books in totality? Um, cl- clearly, the losses are not something you want forever. But uh, if you look at some of the clubs south of the border, uh, they, they would be more than happy with a, with a loss of that magnitude. Uh, if, if Rangers want to progress, and I think progression means winning the Premiership, qualifying for the Champions League, getting into the group stages there, then they need to invest in talent. And talent comes in the form of the management team and the playing team. And and in football, talent isn't cheap. So those losses are very much driven by the fact that the wage bill has gone up considerably. They have invested money in players. And that means short-term pain. And that and that, that pain presently is being borne by the by the by the investors by the directors who are who are putting money into the club um banks won't touch football clubs at present because they they are high risk uh you know the last thing you want to do is is to be a bank manager and, and, I, and I speak to people uh, who 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 work in in the banking sector and I say you know what why are you so reluctant to to lend to football and the bank manager turned around to me and says well if the club starts to struggle and uh, you know, it, it, it potentially I have to go and pull the rug on, on the overdraft, I've got all the fans weaponized against my bank. Now, especially if, if, if I'm working in that city, if my kids are in that city, and, and, and this, was actually, this actually refers to uh, a chat I had with a, a club which is in the English Championship. Um, where the, the club, you know, I, I could see that there were issues. I happened to know I'd, I'd actually done an investigation and, and had a word with somebody, uh, and he said, "Well, you know, we are getting out of football for this particular reason." So the the funding uh, has has come from uh, from a variety of sources as far as Rangers are concerned, and and, and that's fine. It, it, any business business that is growing, and I think Rangers are in a growth phase still at present because they have had setbacks over the last decade we we can't ignore those and and they had to have a financial reset and grow from there now what we have is after a period of 
cautious lending and cautious investment, we now have the brakes slightly, slightly off. Uh, we, we've got new people coming in who, who want to see rangers progress. Um, and in order to do that, they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's hard for me to look back at that financial reset, obviously, um, given everything we've, we've lived through. But you're absolutely right. It's something that, you know, Rangers fans, by and large, are extremely, extremely literate about the financial position of the club and extremely, extremely interested. And we're always, we're always looking for that. And I'm just interested then, just to, to move the, the conversation a little bit, in terms of, you, you touched on, I was going to leave this to the end, but you touched on the the investors that are coming in. So we've seen recently Stuart Gibson um, putting five billion in. That's Stuart Gibson, who's uh, co-founder of ESR out in China and uh, in the Far East in terms of commercial property. We've saw Julian Woolhart join the board as well from uh, Dijon Capital Partners, DCP, who also sponsor the, uh, the women's team. And we've got Douglas Park, uh, John Bennett, etc. in the background. The Rangers have been quite clear in their articulation of a going concern, which is a phrase I think is a bit mythologised sometimes when people uh, come to look at books and organisations anyway. And they've pointed out they need circa 9 million, so 8.8 .8 million to see us through to the end of the 2021 season. And then a further 14.4 million in 21-22. Now I've seen a lot of people speak of uh, FFP, financial fair play, and I'm quite certain, although happy for you to challenge me, I'm quite certain that we're not into those realms, given the actual layout of financial fair play. But what's your feeling from the outside? And I, I sense that player trading will come up highly on this, but obviously that's an unsustainable area. Do you think that the, even with the impact of the pandemic, the 21-22 season will be the last season that there's an expectation to see that amount of money going into the books from investors? Yes, I think what the, what the board will have done and what the investors will have done is have discussions and to, to have set themselves um, you know, medium-term goals. And, and those medium-term goals are to make progress in Europe because Europe is where the money is as far as Scottish football is concerned. Uh, the, the size of the, the TV deal is never going to be great in terms of domestic revenues. So you know, Scotland is a... It is a reasonably sized market. Uh, I was looking at the numbers for a, a, a variety of European uh, countries. Uh, I'm actually researching an update for my book. And you know, Rangers is sort of broadly in, in, in sort of the, the Norway to Sweden market in terms of TV monies, um, which is, is fine. But uh, if Rangers uh, fans want to see the club progress uh, in Europe, uh, to, to get to the you know get to the, the, the final stages and, and also of course the I think the elephant in the room is Champions League because the way that UEFA operates is that for every one pound of prize money that's available in the Europa League there's four pounds in the Champions League if you qualify for the group stages of the Champions League you're effectively looking at around about 30 million pounds coming in uh, in terms of, of broadcast income now if, if you take a look at Rangers figures for, for 2020 they had 13 million coming in from both their, their their European adventures and the domestic cups and leagues as well so qualifying for the Champions League and getting to those group stages um, and, and even if you don't do particularly well you're still you've still got a, a a, a, a major uh, income benefit and once you've got that once 
that that gives the management team the the resources to go into the transfer market to 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 continue to invest in the squad and it becomes a virtuous circle so i i suspect that is the goal of the investors um and once that happens that should allow them the the ability to say right well we, we've put in our seed capital we, we put in uh, and that seed capital has helped the club to grow and, and now to a large extent it's self-sufficient so you know, clearly we, we can't ignore the impact of uh, COVID-19 yeah that has been a restraint uh, for all football clubs but uh, assuming that we've had success in terms of the vaccine uh, a success for Rangers in, in 2021 and 2022 uh, I, I think they could then be effectively able to wash their own face in the sense that they they wouldn't continually need external funding from from the board or from third party investors very very interesting and i'll take a small pause because it's probably two things i want to speak to out with of the, of the books which is one um i think it's quite interesting you might want to give the the background of why you're wearing that dutch shirt because i was quite interested as well as uh, it was a gift yeah it, it was yes i was doing some work for the the knvb the the dutch football association recently they, they asked me to go and, and, and give a talk uh, on how to come out of the pandemic, to look for alternative sources of income, cost control, things of this nature. So they'd originally invited me across to Amsterdam uh, a few months ago, but sadly, as, as a result of, of COVID, uh, I had to give it via Zoom, which, uh, which, which is a shame in, in so many ways. First of all, it's always nice to talk face to face. Uh, and secondly, for a variety of reasons, and I think men of a certain age will understand this, Amsterdam's my favourite city in the whole world. Um, but not that I can remember ever going there. Um, and, and that's why it's my favourite city in the whole world. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Dutch football. And uh, I think, uh, you know, the, you know the, the success of clubs such as Ajax uh, and, and the fact that they have regularly done so well in the Champions League, I think that can, to a certain extent, uh, set a template for a club such as Rangers. They have... The big stadium they have a very committed and loyal fan base so therefore they have a brand you know Ajax has a brand which I think is fairly universally known and and then they can leverage on that um, and try to build up uh, international revenues and things of this nature so uh, yeah I, I understand that the the color orange is is popular uh, amongst Rangers fans uh, and I'm a Dutch fan so I thought it's uh, it, it's an olive branch to everyone there we go. Price of loyal uh, Rangers supporters club. Uh, there we go. Um, I'm just, you know, fine well, I'm going to edit that together so that it's, it stops at you saying invited to Amsterdam, KNVB, to help come out. Um, and I'm just going to leave it as you're coming out uh, video there, Kieran. So thank you very much for that exclusive. That, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'll tell my wife first. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what we'll hold off uh, production on that yeah. one. But I also wanted to touch on, I was going to wait to the end, but, but you'd mentioned it there. And I think it's really important given the, the charitable nature as well. Uh, the update to the book. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I wrote this book uh, for my students uh, a year ago. It took, took me a long time to write it. Uh, and as a result of COVID, uh, I, I was quite shocked to see you know, the number of people who are in financial distress and other distress. And, and I do think it's a scandal in this country uh, that we've got people who can't feed themselves. So 
I've written a book called The Price of Football. It's, it's not designed for people who work in finance. It's, it's finance for non-finance, football finance for non-financial people. Uh, it's, it's sold quite well. 100% of the royalties this year are going to uh, the Trussell Trust, which is a, which is a food bank charity. And, and, and they've invited me down to see their local operations. And, and it's one of those things you come out, and, and I'm, I'm not making myself out to be soft here. And, and I came out and I was in tears. I, I was so impressed with the work that they did. And myself and my wife both invited down, uh, but they are, they are non-judgmental. It, it, it doesn't matter whether you've got a Porsche in your, in your drive or whether you've got a bicycle. Um, you know, some people are being hit by this horrendous disease and they are unable to feed themselves through no fault of their own. So this is this is it's a it's a really good organisation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not Marcus Rashford. You know, I'm, I'm not able to, to call on a market of millions, but we, we took the view. I, I had a chat um, with with, uh, with my wife. We said, well, I've never received a royalty check, so therefore I'd, I'd never miss it. And, and probably uh, if, if if I had. You know, kept the royalties for myself. I'd have just spent most of it on on cocaine and hookers and and, and wasted the rest. Well, at least the KMDB will uh, will hear of that as well. That's uh, that's a filler for the uh, the Amsterdam trip. I, I would implore any listeners um, to buy the book. I've I've read it. I bought it myself. Uh, I've had a read of it. You're absolutely right. It distills the messages really clearly. Um, for non-financial people as well. And now you know the background of it, that all the money is going to a really, really important and good place. So if you can, particularly with Christmas just around the corner, get onto Amazon or your local bookstore, preferably your local bookstore, and uh, and support local businesses and purchase that book. So if I just jump back to, to Rangers then, because we, we touched on a couple of things just before we, we started speaking uh, about, uh, about Amsterdam and the book and stuff like that. I'm quite interested that Rangers have had a lot, and there's been a lot of noise, and uh, you know I've, I've been involved in some of the conversations with people like Castor and all that as well for, for this as Ibrox uh, as part of their fan reach out. And we'd previously had the Elite Hummel deal as well, and the books mention things a 3.3 million input from the retail deal, but that was some attachment to make Ashley is that as well. I'm just wondering how big an impact, given that you've just spoken about. TV revenue, which is the single biggest driver, and then you've got other things like match the income and you know, uh, that. How big a, an impact that is going to have with this refreshed Castor deal for Rangers? Well, I, I think there's that there's a variety of positives here. First of all, uh, it, it's clear. Yeah, I, I'm an outsider, so I I, I, I don't understand the intricacies. Uh, Mike Ashley isn't a popular man in uh, Glasgow. Uh, he's not a popular man in Newcastle. Uh, he's not a popular man in practically anybody <laughs> that he deals with, but, but he is successful and he is, uh, he's expensive. You know, he, he, if he gets his hands into your business, then th there's going to be financial consequences. Um, it, it looks as if uh, sort of analyzing the, the, the commercial income that the Rangers fans have down tools to a certain extent because of Mike Ashley's involvement. Uh, there's been, you know, you know from, from what I see on social media, there's been the impact of the boycott. So I think the Castor deal, uh, it, it's, it's an opportunity for a clean break. Uh, I, I know that there have been quality control issues that Rangers have raised. I think by now that those have been addressed and uh, that they will be proud to wear the shirt because they feel 
it's no longer tainted with the hands of Mike Ashley. And, and they don't like the idea of Ashley having any of the sale proceeds of their shirt. So I think those, those are steps forwards. Um, Rangers is, is a club with uh, an opportunity to uh, extend its influence. And, and I do think uh, the, the potential, now, now that the, you know, some of the investors are based in the Far East, uh, you know, the things such as you know, pre-season tours there, uh, I, I, I don't know enough details here, but uh, you know, I've seen with Wolverhampton Wanderers here, here in uh, the south of the border, but what they've done is that they've gone heavily into esports because they've got Chinese investors and esports is huge in China. So, you know, that, so you know, if Castor with esports plus Rangers, I, I think that could be, that could be quite good. Um, the fact that it's, uh, it's, it's a disruptor brand, I think will help Rangers as well because they 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 want to be a disruptive club. Yeah, they 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 want to be slightly different, not using the the Adidas, Nike, Puma sort of you know oligopoly that we have. So that can work in their favour. Um, I I, th I suspect that they will be Castor's uh, leading retail out you know leading retail product which means that they are in a strong place when it comes to negotiation. If you are dealing with Nike or Adidas, um, they, they are very good in the sense that they've got very good logistics, very good distribution networks, but we all know that it's Barcelona, Manchester United, Liverpool, uh, PSG, who are their main concerns. And, and if you are their 14th biggest seller, you're going to get your, the 14th best service from them. With Castor, it's completely different. It's, es it's essential for Castor's growth and success that Rangers products are quality, well-made, well-designed, look good. You know, all, all of these can roll in together. So I think there's opportunities for growth in, in that particular area for the club. I mean, last, last year, uh, commercial income was, was down around about 5% overall. Uh, given that the season effectively finished traditionally in, you know, in, in, in March, so therefore there were fixtures lost, that's actually pretty good. I mean, all of the numbers, in my view, uh, in terms of revenue, were uh, exceeded my expectations. Well, that's always, a, that's always a pleasing thing to hear. And it's interesting you mentioned Wolves there as well, who I believe uh, Castor have just replaced Adidas as their, their kit supplier. So that disruptor brand entering, uh, entering the English market and a bit more, um, and I think Saracens and Rugby as well. Um, I might as well complete the list there. I think the West Indies cricket team are already cast off. But just, just to drill onto that for a second, the, the Far East connection, because like I said, we've, we've cycled through Stuart Gibson and Julian Wolkart and stuff like that. It, it seems to me that by and large, you've got what, North America, India, then the Far East, and by the Far East, I'm not being homogenous there, I'm saying particularly mainland China, are probably the last big untapped markets in terms of where Rangers could get into and grow some some serious uh, income. Uh, and we've already got a tie-up with uh, uh, Indian club Bengaluru FC, and we've got a tie-up with Orange County uh, Soccer as well in, in America, uh, mainland Northern America, I should say. Um, before anybody questions my geography, understanding they are. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you think that that's probably a bit of a, and I appreciate you're not in the detail here, but I think that would be a bit of a strategic step for Rangers to then eventually have some sort of uh, Chinese club tie-up 
there to try and break into that market a little bit easier? Yes, I think that would be ideal. And we have seen the success of the, the Manchester City model, the multi-club model, um, which is really paying dividends. The, the investment that Manchester City have now had from external sources, because they are seen as uh, being able to, to extend the, the influence, the brand, the, the reputation, uh, and, and it gives you a, a start point for growth in China. Ch China is not an easy market to, to be successful in. Um, you know, there, there are, there's always protocols to observe. There are, there are local issues that you have to satisfy. So uh, having an involvement with a Chinese club that's already aware of, of what's required and would give Rangers the, the opportunity to do pre-season tours, things of that nature, to, to perhaps open a Rangers uh, store. We, we've seen Manchester United open theme parks in, in China. Um, so uh, I, I think that would be a step forwards. And it would also take into consideration that, that domestically, um, whilst Rangers have huge amounts of support in Scotland, th there is a ceiling on, on, on what can be achieved. Um, you, you can only play the, the number of games that, that take place in the SPFL. Um, you can... Uh, you, you've got a you've got a stadium which is packed out every week, regardless of the opponents. That that's great. You know that's absolutely superb. But how can you grow your your match day influence? Well, if if the fans you can't get more fans coming to Ibrox to make money, can we get Rangers going somewhere else to yeah. make that money as an alternative? So, uh, yeah, I, I I I think the the involvement with the Far East. Um, is is something which which is intriguing uh it, it's got to be handled correctly because you won't get a second chance if if, if, if it's messed up uh, i think the chinese government and, and chinese authorities tend to be quite sensitive so, we, so we've got to get this right uh, from a ranger's perspective but i think it will be interesting if, if they uh, they they use their existing links there to to uh, progress the club yeah, it's a, it'll be an exciting um, market to tap into, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure the club have no doubt looked at that as well. So, just a, a couple of you know maybe final points there. So we know that the, the revenues increased 11 percent. These are relatively, I, I, I agree with you. I think they're pretty positive books actually, considering where we where Rangers knew where they were and um, and what's been cycled through in some of the legacy issues in terms of the retail deals, etc. But I'm just thinking in terms of the player trading aspect so you know it's been a while i suppose since rangers let's say grew their own and then cashed in somebody coming up through the youth ranks or anything like that and that has to be part of the business model i think the board have been relatively clear on that and we've spent a, a lot of money well relatively a large amount of money in terms of building the squad that we currently have which have some really good assets and i'm thinking james tavernier uh, joe rebo is haji Obviously, Alfredo Morelos and uh, and Kmart Roof as well, possibly. Um, now, I think something like since the 30th of June, there's been another 15 million um, in squad investment. There's been four and a half million loans, etc. As well. But do you think that the player trading aspect absolutely has to come to the fore? And do you think the Rangers will be in now? They, they knocked back a 16 million pound confirmed bid for Alfredo Morelos in the end of the transfer window, and that was confirmed by Real. Uh, the league chairman. Do you think that where these figures to continue, Rangers would or they should be looking at cashing in on some assets in the next 
uh, the next transfer window? Um, I'm not, from a financial necessity point of view, I, I don't think that they have to do that. I, I think it would be a case of whether the management team feel that uh, selling a player for a good fee, it sends out a signal. Um, you know, and, and I know it's sort of the elephant in the room. If you take a look at the Celtic model, which, which has been very successful, signing players within a particular frame, you know, in, in, a, in a particular uh, market itself, developing those players and then selling them for a multiple. Uh, Rangers are now recruiting in, in that same pool. And therefore, they would, in my view, have the opportunity. And again, I don't know enough about how well players are progressing. You're, you're, you're the experts here at Ibrox. You know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I, I watch Sky. So, and, and you, know, you pick up bits and pieces, but not huge amounts. Um, I, I think that any club that is, we have to be honest here, ranges from a European perspective, a mid-tier. Yeah, that, that's the most that they can hope for. They are not going to break into the, the elite of Real, Bayern. You know, we, we, we know what I think are a reasonable target. But there's no reason why. I think Ajax are a perfect example of something that Rangers should aspire to be uh, in terms of getting into the Champions League, progressing into the Champions League, developing players, selling them on a profit. Um, and reinvesting that money because that's going to help them domestically and I appreciate how important things are from a domestic perspective um, but also that money can then go on to uh, you know, help them to be regular features within, within the Champions League. So that would involve player sales and, and pl selling players isn't a problem. You know, you know, it, it, it generates money. Um, it also helps you to recruit players because if they see that there is a pathway and, and every player wants to go to wherever it's going to be. You know, so, you know, and and it, I think a classic example would be somebody like Tierney moving on to Arsenal uh, you know, from Celtic. Profit made for the club. The player gets the substantial pay rise, gets the opportunity to play in, in another league and so on. And if you can therefore go to players to, that you are recruiting and say, well, look, you know, you know, we signed Alfredo Morales. Was it, was it from Finland or somewhere? Or yeah. somewhere strange yeah yeah it was yeah yeah it was yeah, yeah. So playing for each thank you yeah so so you, you can go to players who you think have got uh, potential and you can say we are rangers you know we we want we want to play for you but we, we will never stand in your way and, and here's an example you know alfredo went from us he's now uh, we signed him he's made a profit he's made money He's now playing uh, in, in, in another league within Europe, successfully appearing in the Champions League, whatever it's going to be. And that's part of the sales pitch. So it can actually work in your favour. Clubs lose money uh, in practically all leagues. And the way that they can offset those losses is, is twofold. First of all, it, it's going to the owners and constantly saying, can you, can you empty out your pockets for every, every bit of cash? Or you do it through a player trading model. And, and we've got clubs here in England uh, that people don't realise that what, what nobody knows south of the border that the club that has sold uh, players for the most money in each of the last five seasons is Chelsea. And I go, yeah. well, uh, no, no, because all they see is Chelsea buying players. But, they, but what Chelsea do is they buy and, and they trade and, and they, they've got 
yeah, they've got 40 players out on loan and some of those deals become, and, and you, you've only got to go and sell five or six players for you know, 1 million, 3 million and so on that nobody's ever heard of. Um, and you, you've got a nice sort of additional income source. Um, and, and I think within Scotland, where, as I say, you've got this natural ceiling in terms of broadcasting revenues, you know, broadcast money last season, 13 million pounds. You compare that to the bottom of the Premier League, which is bringing in 90 to 95. Uh, and and you know, we, we, if, if anybody said, which is the bigger club, Bournemouth or Rangers, well, you know, 100 people are going to say Rangers. So it, it, it is a frustration. Uh, but it's it, 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 you know it's not something which the club itself is is able to to address. I mean the only thing that they could ever possibly hope to do is at some point in future, if there's the opportunity to sell their own TV rights, and then then, then it, that could be a game changer. Would it be a huge game changer? No, but it, it certainly I think would be a positive one because again we have to be honest, who drives TV viewing audiences? It's two clubs in in Scotland. Yeah, I don't think there's any any way to disagree to guess, disagree with that point. I think it's uh, you know totally spot on, and um, you know if we could be actually get to sell those those rights ourselves, in particular the uh, the ability to get them into those other markets that we spoke about in terms of China and India, and Rangers had signed a deal to represent Scottish football in the Indian subcontinent as well fairly recently. So maybe that's part of that structure coming together that you were mentioning there. I'm just very interested as well. So. Um, wages were up a quarter in these books as well, to I think circa 43 million. And now, given revenue was 59 um, in terms of what ranges are cycling through, um, where do you think the tipping point is there? Or where's the, where's the ceiling? Where's the comfortable ceiling? Stretch, stretch ceiling when it comes to the ratio that Rangers, a Scottish club, but Rangers in particular, should be looking at in terms of spend on the and I'm going to take amortisation out of it because I know that's maybe one of your favourite subjects. Um, but uh, in terms of when does that start to become moving from the black to the red dial, so to speak? Well, um, UEFA have a red flag at 70%. Now, Rangers last season was 73, but it was 73 in a COVID environment. I, I think that had COVID not happened, um, there wouldn't have been much of an upward tick on uh, on wages. It clearly, you know, there, there would have been additional costs because you'd have extra match day costs and so on. But there would have been uh, a significant up, upwards tick in terms of revenue because uh, you know they would they would have got more match day. Um, they, they, they potentially they, they may have had to give it a refund in in terms of TV deals coming from both UEFA and domestically and things of this nature. So had COVID not taken place. I'm reasonably confident that, that Rangers would have been below the 70% line. And, and if you take a look at the last five seasons, I've got 59, 60, 2018 went up to 74%. But I think that was the year that Steven Gerrard arrived. Yep. Is that right? 2017, 18. So I would have expected that because you had a new manager. Um, the, the board decided to back the manager that season and therefore... Yeah, a one-off. It was it was it was a little bit high, but not nastily. I, I've got clubs in the English Championship, but spending two hundred and twenty-six pounds on wages for every one hundred pounds of income, um, and no nobody bats an eyelid. So yeah, I, I would I wouldn't get too concerned about that. I'd be looking sort of yeah, what, what's what's your sort of three or four year trend? You're around about where I think you ought to be. 
I don't think there's a lot of scope to significantly increase wages unless you can increase income. And how can you increase income? Yeah, we've had this discussion. Win the Premiership, get into the Champions League, get into those group stages, and that's an extra, realistically, that's an extra you know, 15 to 20 million pounds minimum. You get through the, you, you get some good results in the group stages. I think it's around about 2.7 million pounds per victory in Champions League. So, you know, that's, that, that's phenomenal. Um, and once you get into that, then again, that you can go back to the manager and say, well done, you helped achieve that. Here's a few extra million to play with this year in terms of either rewarding existing players in terms of contracts, or we can now go and spend, you know, perhaps we were trying to sign three players, we can now afford, afford to sign four. Yeah, yeah, and I get that uptick of the 2018, and uh, you know, injection of Steven Gerrard into the, into the club would be... A big, a big driver of people being interested. Also, what you're saying there is probably brings back into focus the Europa League uh, income, which has been incredibly important in Rangers, you know, getting into those group stages uh, as well. And I think there's something sucking nine million in prize money that they were able to generate from that Europa League run as well. So I, I suppose that the, the final question for me, and I'm actually going to be a man of my word this time and say, because uh, I remember the last interview we did where I, I think I said final question for me three times. Uh, so, so I do mean it on this occasion. So I suppose that the, the, the final question though is, and it's probably the one that's driving uh, most Rangers fans or exercising most Rangers fans is, these are pretty decent books in my opinion, and there's a stable cabal of directors who are willing to go to the well, and that's already been pre-agreed. Um, given we're cycling out of the back of the pandemic though I'm quite interested on do you think that the figures in the next set of books will look significantly different from these ones or do you think they should be relatively on a par and I appreciate I'm asking that question with two hands over your eyes because nobody can tell the future of the pandemic but yeah I'm just interested in your opinion there if nothing else Okay, uh, my view would be that income will probably take a dip because I, I think we've got to be realistic and, and the chances of getting full crowds back to, to see football this season is close to zero. If, if we get some, then it's a bonus. So you know, that, that is going to uh, be negative. Um, you know, Rangers... Realistically, yeah, they, they've qualified now for the for the knockout phases of of the Europa League. Um, that's that's a positive, and and then we're moving into an area where every match actually is very important from a from a cash flow perspective. Yeah, and hopefully we can re replicate that uh, knockout stages again again this season as well. Um, so, Gina, I suppose the final comment though is to say. Well, thank you. Obviously, see, I've couched that in different terms, but thank you. But also, where can people find you? Where can they find the price of football? How do they access what is a phenomenally excellent listening podcast? Um, well, you, I, I do this price of football podcast with, with stand-up comedian Kevin Day. Uh, we do that twice a week. We, we started off doing 20 minutes once a week, and now we're doing two hours of content mainly because there are so many disaster stories in the world of football and finance. So we do a Thursday show, which is sort of a new show. Uh, we do a, a, I was about to call it a Reader's Wives 
uh, Sunday <laughs> show. But no, li li sorry, I'm listening to questions. That needs to be involved. So we, we, got, uh, we, we do a listeners' questions show on, on a Sunday, which, which goes out on a Monday. We've actually got 250 questions, which we've not yet answered. You know, when, when we started, we thought, well, no, who's going who's to be asking questions about football finance? Uh, yeah, the show has surpassed expectations. Uh, you, you can find me on, on Twitter. Uh, and I, I do run the Price of Football website as well, which, which I try to update as often as I can. Uh, but with, with the podcast, I, I've done over 800 interviews this year. Uh, on football finance for TV, radio, and newspapers, and, and uh, guys such as yourself, partly due to the pandemic and so trying to find time to update the the the, uh, the website is is a challenge. Uh, and uh, I've I've been divorced once; I can't afford another one. So uh, I'm, I'm under I'm under a lot of pressure to not spend all of my time uh, nerding out on that. But but that that's where you can find. Me. Well, I think that's a fairly uh, a fairly robust way to end this uh, <laughs> this interview. Kieran, once again, thank you so much for joining me. I very much appreciate that. Well, thanks, and um, good luck to everybody. At this is Ibrox. Like an animal, something so physical.